Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. and welcome to episode 42 of the Banter Roundtable podcast. Gentlemen, Bob, Justin, how are you? Hey guys, doing good. Uh, I've got a great show for you today. We are going to be discussing um, Trump threatening violence again, Special Masters Raymond Dreary appointment to Mm. oversee Justin, stop grumbling. We are not... (laughs) <laughs> not there yet. Uh, we're going to be talking about the special masters who's been appointed to look over uh, all of the files that were found at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, we have Russia versus Ukraine, a huge turn of events in that. We have our both sides segment. We have some real peaches for you today. And then we are going to be going to the members only section and talking about Lindsey Graham's abortion gambit and what the hell is he doing? Uh, all right. So, um, I have some audio to play for you uh, right now. And this is um, Trump speaking to uh, that great American hero, Hugh Hewitt. Um, just, everybody just listen to this. This is what Trump said on the Hugh Hewitt radio show or whatever. I don't even know what it is, a podcast, whatever. Uh, okay, anyway, here we go. Listen to this. If it happened, I think you'd have problems in this country, the likes of which perhaps we've never seen before. I don't think the people of the United States would stand for it. What kind of problems, Mr. President? I think they'd have big problems, big problems. You know that the legacy media will say you're attempting to incite violence with that statement. How do you respond to what will inevitably- That's not not inciting, I'm just saying what my opinion is. I don't think the people of this country would stand for it. Okay, so (laughs) a few things to note with that little um, nugget. Trump is basically saying um, two things. First of all, uh, that he's probably going to run again. I think that's uh, that's quite clear. Everybody knows that he has to. He absolutely has to. I don't to. know. Well, I don't know. Well, he's he's threatening to, to run. He's, he's threatening yeah. to run, and he's also threatening. He says, um, of, of the prosecution, he says, if a thing like that happened, I would have no prohibition against running. He said, if I think it happened, you'd have you'd have problems in this country, the likes of which perhaps we've never seen before. I don't think the people of the United States would stand for it. And then Hewitt asked Trump, what does he mean by problems? He says, I think they'd have big problems, big problems. I just don't think they'd stand for it. They will not sit, sit still and stand for this ultimate of hoaxes. Right. Yeah. Um, So to me, this is Trump basically threatening violence again. He's saying, Do this, and I'm going to set the mob loose again. Right? It's a com- yeah. It's a combination of things. He's threatening violence while also giving permission to those who might do that violence. You know what I mean? It's like tacit permission. Stand back, like, well, stand tr- by. Right? Yeah, stand exactly. Stand, stand back, stand by. That's precisely what he's saying here. And mm. then the other, well, the other possibility, and this, I would put this second on the list, is that uh, he is. I think he's got a suicide switch ready. Did we talk about this last week? I think we may have, where I believe he's got some documents in reserve, maybe some of the documents from the 43 empty folders. Uh, It could be additional documents that we just don't know about yet, stashed somewhere else. 
and those documents might be ready to roll uh, if he is prosecuted. And I guess the way the suicide switch works is that if Donald Trump is prosecuted, then whoever has access to those documents is assigned to dump them into the media, like dump them to Breitbart or Fox News or OAN or Newsmax or maybe even release them to some sort of foreign government. Uh, and that is the threat. So how if you dare prosecute me, these documents are going to get leaked into the public and you wouldn't want that, would you? So that might be the threat, too, because he's not specific about rioting or violence in the streets or another insurrection. He's just saying, yeah, you're going to regret doing this, which to me could mean either one of those things. It could either mean the violence, you know, insurrections and so on, or it could mean uh, some sort of suicide switch, some sort of dead man switch. So those are both possibilities. Yeah, you Absolutely. know, it's not like he, it seems like he's not learned a damn thing, right? It's it's uh, same old. Well, Trump. he's learned that he doesn't get in trouble for doing this stuff. Yeah, yeah. it's hubris. It's absolute yeah, it's, hubris. It's exactly what he's learned so far. Every time he incites violence, he doesn't get in trouble for it. So why not keep doing it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, look, there, there was an interesting um, piece in the BBC uh, this week. Um, I wasn't going to be talking about this, but. Um, I think it kind of ties it, it. It ties into this, right? That the if you look, if you track Trump's endorsements, right? There's a there's a there's the BBC article says U.S. midterms 2022 tracking Trump's extraordinary endorsement spree. Um, so over the part, this is from the BBC. Over the past several months, candidates endorsed by Mr. Trump have pocketed victories across the country, winning 92% of the time. From his home in Palm Beach, Florida, the self-proclaimed king of endorsements has weighed in on almost 200 races, backing Republican candidates running for the U.S. Senate, House or State Governor in 39 out of 50 states. It is an unusually high number. During during the 2018 midterms, he backed just under 90 candidates for those same positions, according to Ballotpedia. That same year, former President Barack Obama endorsed 94 candidates. Um, so that's quite – those are quite some numbers, right? Uh, you know, you can go into them. It's not quite as impressive as it, as it once seems when you look into, you know, a lot of them are incumbents and they were going to win anyway. Um, so, you know, th- they're kind of, tr- as the BBC said, they're tried and true candidates with the Republican bonafides who had won their seat in the last election are running for office again. So Trump's clearly being, you know, he's picking, you know, horses he thinks are going to win as well but still it shows you the grip he has on the gop right that they mm-hmm. they did they, they cannot get rid of him the guy is like he's like a virus that is now taken over the host and that's it like the party is basically finished um so he can say this stuff with impunity he knows that the gop kind of has to back him Right. Or, or he they have they can't come down on him too hard because what are they going to do? You, you know what I mean? That, that, that it's quite a sort of scary. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got the midterm, you've got the uh, the the actual election. They're going to be facing Democrats in November. So we'll see how successful that is. My my thoughts are that they it's not going to be that successful in the midterms. Right. The Trump backed um, uh, picks are not going to do that well. Well, um, any place that he loses, he'll say it was rigged, and every place that he wins, he'll say it was because of him. Yeah, so but it's it, a win-win no matter what he does. Right, right. But it, 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 so, it, it, yeah, right, exactly, exactly. So the again, the Republicans are damned if they do, and they're damned if they don't. They can't get rid of the guy. They lose if they keep him. They lose if they if they get rid of him. 
Um, so this is why I think he can go around basically threatening more violence because he, he because he has such a grip on the, on the GOP. Um, yeah, so it, it's kind of in a bit of a scary situation right now. And we, we, we discussed this this last week as well, but it's it's a kind of the problem is getting worse and worse and worse. And I don't see I mean, it's great for the Democrats, really. This is all very good news. Uh, but still, you know, it's um, it's not good to have one part. It's not good to have a basically a one sane political party and one kind of like deranged lunatic asylum on the other side. Yeah, yeah. No, it really isn't. (laughs) Yeah, especially when the dividing line between those two parties is like one or two percentage points in many, many elections. Yeah. That's a terrifying prospect. I mean, the whole notion, uh, it goes back to when Trump was president and how I constantly compared that experience to uh, that sensation of leaning too far back in your chair, almost falling over, but catching yourself at the last minute. That... uh, uncomfortable rush of adrenaline that you know constant ongoing low frequency fear Mm. of something going horribly awry a handful of voters making the wrong choice on their ballots and then suddenly whoops fascism yep and that's no way to uh i guess the irony is that democracy is ultimately uh one of those things where you can end democracy through democracy you can use democracy to destroy democracy that's the it's it's like this built-in self-destruct you know mm. when all else fails they're they're just going to destroy democracy and so uh that's a terrifying prospect and it makes it very uncomfortable for those of us who especially those of us who are observing how this goes on uh, how elections pan out how mm. the debate over issues and and uh, whatever it is Republicans are screaming about, how that puts us all in this uncomfortable off-balance position, knowing that if we fall off that tightrope, there's nothing but broken glass, crocodiles, and sharks with lasers on their head down below. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, so moving on to the second, you know, to, 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 to the next part of the show, which is tied in, of course, which is um, uh, this... Judge uh, Raymond J. Deary of the Federal District Court in Brooklyn was was a, ju- appointed the special masters, right? Uh, special master to evaluate the the uh, documents seized by seized during the raid on Mar-a-Lago back in August. Okay, so um, this is from uh, this is from Time magazine. Uh, so uh, Judge Aileen Cannon of the District of Southern District of Florida, a Trump appointee, approved Deary for the position after an extensive back and forth between Trump's team and the Justice Department over the scope of the Special Master's review. Trump's team argued that the Special Master should be able to review the roughly 100 documents with classification markings, stating that uh, the Trump should have the right to assert executive privilege over any potentially classified materials that might be presidential records. Cannon not only approved that request, but also barred the FBI from working with those classified materials until the special master's work is complete. Uh, the DOJ appealed her decision on September 8th, arguing it could risk irreparable harm to national security and intelligence interests. Um, so the appeal is currently pending before the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. So I don't know what this strategy. I mean, the strategy is clearly they're time wasting, right? They, they, this is this is they're trying to. Um, run out the clock on this oh no it's way worse than that it's way worse than that she's doing two things one she's suggesting that trump 
actually has a right to keep some of those documents. Mental. And two, she's setting it up so later they can just throw out the entire case and say, well, the FBI did not follow my orders. Therefore, the entire criminal case against him has been prejudiced and he can't be charged with anything because the case is tainted. They're, they're, they're literally setting up the entire thing so he cannot be charged later because the case is tainted. That's what they're doing right now. And well, it's unfucking believable they're going to these lengths to do it. Yeah, I, I think there are two things that make the content of this ludicrous ruling almost mm. entirely irrelevant, though. The first thing is the uh, 11th Circuit is probably going to stay Judge Cannon's ruling on this, ultimately. And that's going to happen pending a final decision from the 11th Circuit. Mm. But what's going to happen in the interim is I think the 11th Circuit is going to put a stay on that order. This is just uh, this is so ludicrous that there's no way the 11th Circuit, even an 11th Circuit packed with six Donald Trump nominees. Um, remember, they pick uh, three judges at random, so it could be two Trump people. I, it's it's hard to know what the mm. composition of that uh, that panel will be. But anyone with a brain in their head are gonna, is going to look at this and go, what is this conspiratorial nonsense? Because wh what Judge Cannon is basically saying in one part of this ruling from yesterday is, I don't believe the deep state. <laughs> the deep state's telling me that these are classified documents. I don't know. So let's bring in someone else uh, to decide on this. It's like an umpire who, you know, can't tell a ball from a strike suddenly saying, hey, is there someone in the crowd who can come over here and tell me, was that a ball or a strike? I'm not sure. It's so incompetent and so ridiculous. Uh, but ultimately, it's going to be moot. The other aspect to this is. Yeah, there's a lot of debate over this aspect of the ruling and why this was absurd or that was absurd and why Judge Cannon is owned by Donald Trump and all the rest of it. That's kind of way down the list. And I, I think the main thing that's happening here that we all need to bear in mind, that as we're sort of shaking our fist at Judge Cannon and the absurdity of her ruling, what Donald Trump really wants in this is to run out the clock. He really wants the delay, and that's the key. He wants to be a pain in the ass to the Department of Justice to the point where he wears them down, or he thinks he can wear them down and get them to agree to things that they normally wouldn't have otherwise agreed to in order to uh, you know, make this case uh, as impotent as possible. Mm. And then ultimately to get to January 20th, 2025, when there's the possibility of a Republican president because American voters are dummies. Uh, and maybe that Republican president ends up being Donald Trump. I seriously doubt it. I mean, you guys know my point of view on whether Trump's going to run. I don't think he's going to run. I think this is more like 2012 uh, Donald Trump, who was just threatening to run to promote the Celebrity Apprentice as opposed to uh, Donald Trump of 2016. Do you think, here's a question, Bob, and I was thinking about this the other day, that, that um, and this, I don't know whether this sounds kind of conspiratorial or not, but do you think that Trump might be trying to cut a deal somewhere where he basically says, um, you know, maybe, maybe he says to Biden or, or he says, look, basically let me, you know, exonerate me, give me a pardon, Right. If any of this stuff goes down and I promise I won't run. I don't think that's happening. 
I, and I don't help know. Them I, I think Donald Trump's too anyway. proud. Yeah, I, I think Donald Trump is a coward. I think Donald Trump behind the scenes ends up caving more than he ever says publicly. But I don't think Donald Trump uh, is modest enough uh, or has the humility to to try to cut a deal with Sleepy Joe. I just don't see that uh, well, necessarily. Maybe, maybe through through the maybe through the um, you know through the GOP, he's saying to yeah. the, you know maybe he's saying to the kind of the GOP establishment, he's saying, look, like ensure uh, talk to Biden, ensure talk to someone, ensure that I don't you know that that I'm going to get away with this. And I and I and I will pledge not to run. Um, that was what I because I was thinking if I was Donald Trump, what would I be doing? I'd be upping the ante big time, uh, but behind the scenes, be saying to everyone, "Look, like basically, as long as I don't do jail time and you 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 give me a pardon, uh, I'll go away." But because I otherwise the other options to him are, are too dire. But maybe that's just you know. I don't, Again, I'm, I'm I think happy. I think Donald Trump is foolish enough to feel as though he is invincible, that he's untouchable, that he will not. Uh, I mean, he I think he knows on some level that he may be indicted, but I think he's got a track record, at least in his own mind. And that's <laughs> that's the key to Donald Trump. He's a legend in his own mind. Mm. In, in his own mind, he believes he can beat this by delaying uh filing lawsuits over every single motion that's handed down mm. and that he believes will get him over the threshold of the 2024 presidential election. Mm. I think that's what he's looking at right now. And it, it is, I mean, if, if I were in his place or if I were a Donald Trump supporter, I wouldn't be very confident at all that he can delay for that long, for that long. Right, I mean, it's, right, right. it's a long way to go until January 20th, 2025 for God's mm. sake. Uh, but at the same time, he's got no other options. He's got no other way necessarily to wiggle out of this other than his old playbook. Mm. And he's going to keep leaning on that playbook. And that's what makes it so predictable. That's what makes every decision that is handed down, whether it's by Judge Cannon or anything that involves Donald Trump's team of, you know, better call Saul level, you know, back of the phone book lawyers, uh, <laughs> you know exactly what their motive is. You know exactly right. where they're going to go. Like when they declined to allow uh, the 100 documents to be examined, when they said, no, we don't want that to happen. Well, obviously they didn't want that to happen. Obviously yeah. they were going to file a, a motion. They were going to file a lawsuit to get a special master. These are all things that are 100% predictable. And so we just need to uh, prepare ourselves that that's going to continue and that, Every single one is not going to succeed, um, you know, or uh, it's just one of those things that is inevitable that, mm. you know, we shouldn't be rending our garments every time we hear that, oh, Donald Trump got this little teeny tiny victory in the grand scheme. Well, as I laid out in my banter piece this week, there's like 20 things at least that Donald Trump has to worry about between yeah. lawsuits, uh, civil suits, uh, and criminal investigations that these are all, you know, little paper cuts when in fact he's got a gaping chest wound. So <laughs> I think we should bear that in mind as we see some of these ridiculous rulings handed down. And ultimately with this special master that was agreed upon by uh, both sides on this, uh, I don't think it's even going to come to that special master looking at this shit. I think the 11th circuit's going to have its say, and I think we'll, we'll, we're not going to have to worry about Judge Dreary 
Is that his name? Judge Dreary? Yeah. Every time I say Judge Dreary, it sounds <laughs> weird to me. It sounds like a yeah. character from a fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so Judge Dreary is not going to come anywhere close to these documents because I don't think the special master thing, the ruling is going to stand. So uh, but at the same time, if it if it does, if Judge Dreary ends up getting the clearance and everything to look at these documents and sift through them, he will absolutely rule on behalf of the FBI. Uh, with regard to the 100 documents at the very least. Uh, but uh, you know what? I- I'm saying that and I'm hearing myself and I've got echoes of, you know, uh, Robert Mueller is coming. Look out. Robert Mueller is going to destroy Donald Trump. And yeah, then it's yeah. it's sort of this anticlimactic. Yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, I have no confidence in, uh, you know, everyone says Judge Dreary is a competent jurist and so on. And, and he's the, probably the best case as far as a special master goes. But I just have very little confidence in that actually being, uh, you know, reality. I mean, it may be reality. I'm just sort of, you know, I've got that don't get happy kind of attitude yeah. about some of these things. I'll believe it when I see it. And when there's confirmation, that's when I'll celebrate. But in the meantime, I'm assuming that there's going to be more shenanigans and things might not always go our way. I think that's a safe assumption. I think that's a healthy assumption to make. Yeah. I mean, and look, I think to cut you and everybody else some slack, everybody who kind of was quite invested in you know the Mueller report and all that kind of stuff that it was for anybody with half a brain anybody with a with a functioning brain and any sort of tethering to reality you could see that Donald Trump was guilty of so much right of obstructing yeah. you know, during the Russiagate investigation it was it, it, at the very least um it, it, you know obstruction of justice Okay, like that. Yes, he had. You know, the links to to Russia were were extremely shady, right? Could you prove that you know he was a Russian agent and an, or an asset? No, I don't think you can. Um, but regardless, it looked it looked terrible, and it's pretty clear that you know there there was a kind of quid pro quo going on with Russia, whether it was explicit or not, who knows, right? But at the very least, obstruction of justice. Right at the very, very least, mm-hmm. um, and the reason he got off was because, you know, he basically his party controlled the levers of, of of power, controlled the levers of government. Right, he was all it was. He was always going to get off, um, because the Senate was never going to convict him. The seven, the Senate was never ever going to sign off on on the impeachment. I mean, for fuck's sake, the Senate couldn't even sign off after he tried to overthrow the government. Right, the Senate wouldn't impeach him. Still. Because yeah, nope. you know, so Nothing. so this is as if Trump has been exonerated. It just he hasn't been exonerated, right? He he's been let off by a corrupt political system, corrupted by the GOP. Um, so I think that you can cut everybody some slack who people who thought you know the rule of law was going to eventually win out. Um, but Bob, as you said, there was a quote from your piece that I put up on Twitter that I thought was great. It said that Trump is trapped in a version of hell that he personally created for himself. It's all 100% his fault. And now the system that he attempted to shove off a cliff is pushing back with unprecedented ferocity. Yeah. Uh, And I I think you're right. And I I hope you're right. And I think you're right. And I think maybe this time it will be different because, um, you know, the rules, the, 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 the political landscape has changed quite significantly. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, and I was kind of forecasting that as soon as Donald Trump became president because I knew exactly what kind of president he would be. I, I knew he had no respect for the mm. American system of government, our constitutional system, and that he would just utterly trample anything that wasn't nailed down, like a you know a 30-foot-tall, giant diapered baby stomping his way like Godzilla through Washington, D.C. And, and I knew that I thought, in fact, that the system would start to seriously push back while he was president. Mm. It kind of pulled its punches while he was president only because of the system's obvious deference to the chief executive. But at the same time, once he got out of office, that's when comeuppance came around. And I'm so glad to see it. I'm so relieved that the system is pushing back. Yes, um, no, well said. And well, look, moving on, guys, um, we're going to go on to the Ukraine-Russia conflict. So quite the week or quite the month the Ukrainians are having. Um, Big time. Yes. Uh, Justin, um, you, you, you've been, uh, we've been talking before we jumped on the podcast, you were very eager to talk about this because uh, you've been following this very closely. What, yeah, what, no, Russia's, what happened? Russia's having a bad time. Russia's yeah. having a really, really bad time. Um, so in the in the last week or so, um, Ukraine Ukraine um, basically bullshitted Russia, sort of. Like they said, we're going to attack you down in the south. And they did. They did actually attack them down the south. And Russia moved a lot of their troops away from the north. And then Ukraine attacked them in the north as well. And they weren't expecting it because Russia is really not prepared for this. They haven't been prepared from the beginning and they really aren't prepared for going forward. And they lost 3,090 square miles of territory, which is more than they captured from March going forward. Like they blitzkrieged into Ukraine in February, captured a whole lot of territory. And after March, they've captured not a whole lot. And Ukraine took it back in a week. Amazing. They took back everything they lost since March in a week. And Russia is in a really bad spot now because this cut off a major uh, resupply route for them. So now the troops that they do have down in the south are going to have more trouble getting resupplied, which is good. It's like kind of like a, a domino effect, right? Their troops are badly demoralized. Now they're, they're not going to be resupplied as easily. And they're already freaking out, and they're or, they're already undersupplied to begin with because they just they're running out of troops, they're running out of supplies. Russia's definitely running out of money. They've started cutting back on their economy. I think it, I just read that they have like a one point five trillion ruble shortfall in their budget, and that's only going to get worse going forward. So they're in a huge amount of trouble, and they're, you're starting to see on Russian TV, on Russian TV, people complaining about the. What are they? What are they calling it? Special, special military? operation, special military yeah, operations. Right. Yeah, I they saw can't that. Call it a war. I saw that. I saw, I saw that that there are now people, um, you know, there are gov- there are officials in in Mos- Moscow um, calling for Putin to resign, um, which um, is insane. That the, yeah, I never thought I'd see that. At least not this early. And and all, yeah, they're openly criticizing the war. Um, and those are pe- those people are taking their lives in their hands, and they know it. They're going to fall out of a window. But the the, the way that the <laughs> criticism is, is is yeah, I know there seems to be a lot of Russian officials and people um, uh, falling out of windows. Any anybody vaguely critical critical of Putin happens to fall out of a window. It's very weird that. Um, but yeah, the the 
the fact that there is now sort of the dissent is interesting because the dissent is is they're talking about kind of tactical errors. They're saying you know this is not going very well, and you kind of saw this happen uh, during the Iraq War. Um, you know, back in twenty years ago during the Iraq War. Uh, dissent, the media kind of like fell apart basically in America, and it was it was almost like living in a kind of weird totalitarian um, country. I remember it at the time, thinking this is very strange that, that there's this kind of no dissent. But then, yeah, once, yeah, you weren't allowed to at all. Yeah, once, but once the war started going badly, um, you started like really badly. You started to see people criticizing the tactics. And then once they started criticizing the tactics, uh, it went up the, the chain of command and all of a sudden it was then okay to question uh, W, you know? Um, so, and I think you're, you're seeing a kind of a similar thing play out in Russia, at least it appears to me. Obviously, the, the, the stakes are, <laughs> are much more severe in Russia. Um, in America, you're not going to fall out of a window um, <laughs> uh, for criticizing uh, the president. Yeah, it is just bonkers. And yeah. You- so and good. Thing- I mean, it's 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 good. This is um this this is a very good sign, right? That that uh, the the Russian kind of very much so. Yeah, Russian efforts in Ukraine are essentially disintegrating, and and we could be watching. I tweeted this out that we could be watching basically in real time, um, the collapse of a of a fascist autocracy. Yeah, and the one thing I want to point out, and I posted this, but the one thing I want to say, when not if when. Ukraine pushes forward and they go to take back uh, the Crimea Peninsula, Mm. people are going to scream that they're warmongers. That is their territory. Just because Russia stole it back in 2014 does not mean it's Russian territory. It's still part of Ukraine. It was just illegally swiped by Russia. Because you're going to hear that from Republicans, you're going to hear it from the alt-left, you're going to hear it from a whole bunch of people who are still pro-Russian, but they just don't want to really say that. But they're going to start screaming that Zelensky is a warmonger, blah, 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 attacking Russia. It's like, that's not Russian territory. He's reclaiming his country for his people. Because I swear to you, I promise you, that is coming. When they push into Crimea, people are going to start screaming that he's a warmonger and they're attacking Russia, blah, blah, blah. That's well, coming. I as, guarantee it. As yeah. many uh, as many Trump supporters will say, they'd rather be Russian than a Democrat. Yeah, better red than dead, which is quite amazing. <laughs> Crazy. Um, so what? Well, look, uh, guys, let's move on to our both sides um, segment. My pick this week for Republican lunacy is our good friend Marjorie Taylor Greene, who um, got into a crazy debate on the street with a with a gun control activists and marjorie taylor green um literally kicked this woman on <laughs> on 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 camera right uh so this is from the hill um marjorie taylor green posted a video on thursday of an exchange with a young gun control activist in which the congresswoman appears to kick a woman walking in front of her whom uh, whom green staff accuses of impeding her movement um these quote these foolish cowards want the government to take away guns and the rights of parents to defend their children in schools uh, green captioned her video which shows the congresswoman leaving the capital while surrounded by a group of activists asking her questions about gun violence you have to be an idiot to think gun control will create a utopian society where criminals disarm themselves and obey the law green states um as in almost every other civilized country on earth uh, <laughs> are currently living 
in in these utopias where they don't have mass mass school shootings and you know 500 people being mown down at concerts yeah weird uh, how that works yeah weird how that works right but anyway so i i th- th- she, she's so stupid that she i mean she's kind of if you look watch the video um she's kick she's clearly kicking this woman um <laughs> yeah she's not stumbling with she's her weird fred flintstone her to get her feet. out of the way yeah yeah well, well, <laughs> right so yeah not only uh, not only defending um the uh america's insane gun laws but also assaulting someone on live television so Ooh. yeah my both sides this week is marjorie taylor green bob uh, who is your pick this week all right uh stochastic terrorist matt walsh uh who still remains on apple podcast and stitcher and spotify and all of these podcast platforms in spite of the fact that he continues to incite uh, terrorist attacks and threats of bombings against uh, Boston's Children's Hospital and other uh, locations of Children's Hospital. Uh, we had a, another bomb threat that occurred earlier this week. Another and, one? Jeez. And yes, and now these bomb threats are under investigation by the FBI and so on. Thank God. Well, that's not the main reason I'm bringing up Matt Walsh today. Uh, because that was news from, I don't know, five, six days ago. Uh, but Matt Walsh is leading the way in the pushback against a cartoon mermaid that has now been oh my incorporated in a live-action movie. Yeah, uh, Disney's doing a live-action version, as they've been doing with all of their formerly animated pro- uh, uh, properties. They're doing this with the uh, The Little Mermaid, and oh my God, shock horror, they cast a black woman to play uh, The Little Mermaid. And Matt Walsh said on his show that not only does this fly in the face of Hans Christian Andersen and Danish fairy tales, uh, <laughs> which are supposed oh, to reflect Jesus. the racial uh, makeup of whoever writes the fairy tales, but that also it's not scientifically possible to have a dark skinned mermaid because, you know, mermaids live at the bottom of the ocean. And things that live at the bottom of the ocean are those weird, squishy, transparent monster fish that look weird. They look like space aliens. And that's really what The Little Mermaid should look like, he was saying. He said, that's, I would watch that movie, he said. I would watch a movie where The Little Mermaid looked like one of those horrifying deep sea creatures that you can see right through their skin and they have the bulgy eyes and all the rest as of As long as she's not black. Yeah, exactly. As long as she's Anything not black. Anything but that. Right, it's not, and it's not scientifically possible for a mermaid to be black. Uh, right, obviously mermaids don't exist. <laughs> There's no scientific basis oh for the existence of mermaids. And Please, so, why? Why? Nonsense. And you know, I could sit here and talk about Polynesians and people <laughs> who live near the ocean who have dark skin, but you know what? That'd be a big waste of time. Matt Walsh is full of shit. He is a, a, a ringleader for domestic terrorists. And uh, and that's all you need to say. And a nasty little racist as well. Yes. And you don't see this level of intolerance anywhere else other than the right. You know, the, the Christian movement, the movement yeah. that embraces Christ, so, <laughs> so they say. And uh, Jesus yeah. definitely would have cared about the color of the Little Mermaid skin. Jesus, 100%. Oh, of course. Yeah, who yeah. was basically a Palestinian with dark skin. And anyway, but uh, n- never mind. Um, the only thing I cared about <laughs> right. when I heard that Blue Mermaid was going to be black, 
did she have red hair? As soon as I, it's all I cared about. Does she have red hair? That's all. That's because the Little Mermaid has to have red hair. Because it's the Little Mermaid. Other than that, she could be purple as long as she has red hair. I just, I love Mermaid. I love that for these guys, the sun rises and sets on the racial makeup of a cartoon mermaid. <laughs> not not what for the nothing. Fuck these is are the wrong same guys who screamed bloody murder that the new She Ra didn't have big enough tits. Yeah. Oh, it's like, and, and, calm and down, what, man. Calm what's down. Hilari- what's hilarious. Cartoon. What's hilarious to me is how they're making this out to be some sort of new phenomenon. You know, the idea of tolerance and inclusion and empathy. This has been going on since the beginning of entertainment. It's been happening slowly over the course of human civilization, but especially in the last, let's say, 60 years. We can go back to a very popular television show in 1966 called Batman, where they cast a gay Latino uh, man as the Joker, and they cast a black woman as Catwoman, Neither of which, you know, the uh, identity of these people was reflected from the comics. And so this goes back a long way. Star Trek, uh, the first interracial kiss on network television. Uh, You know, make sure don't tell Matt Walsh about any of that shit. Heaven forbid. We're talking about 60 years now of a move toward and gratefully enough uh, inclusion. On television, there, what what the fuck is wrong? We're talking about fictional characters here. For God's sake! All right, um, Justin, who's your pick this week? Do I need? Do we need any more bad news? Um, <laughs> come on, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Come on, who, who's your pick we've, this week? Uh, we've got uh, governors Abbott and DeSantis. They're still in the middle of their um, scumbag Olympics to see who could be the worst person. Um, both of them are still lying and tricking. Um, migrant families, putting them on buses and planes and sending them to uh, what they call sanctuary cities under completely false premises, uh, pretenses about that they're going to have jobs and homes. And then these people get off the bus or plane and have absolutely no idea what's going on, where they are, because they don't go where they're supposed to be going. um, And they just drop them off. Uh, DeSantis kicked it up a level this time by dropping them off at Martha's Vineyard and had Fox News reporters there to shove cameras in their faces. Didn't tell anyone they were going to be there except the Fox News people. So these people show up, have no idea what's going on. Fox News is yelling at them like, you know, oh, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Hey, what's going on? And tries to humiliate them. And then these people have to wander around trying to figure out where they are. Now, the, 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 the good part about this is that the people at Martha's Vineyard were like, oh, come we'll take care of you where mm-hmm. fox news was expecting them to be all outraged and offended and not in my backyard they wanted a nimby reaction and that's not what they got so of course the right is still lying about that and just pretending that everyone in martha's vineyard was all offended and like oh we don't want these terrible people here because you know if they don't get the reaction they want they'll just make it up but the, the fact that they're they literally just human traffic traffic these people like you can't tell people we're going to get you a job and a home and then send them someplace else for completely different reasons. That's literally human trafficking and it is quite illegal. And somehow I don't see either one of these governors getting arrested for this stuff because when you're a Republican, it's okay. But this is horrible, despicable stuff. And conservatives have been doing this for, they've been doing this since the 1960s. 
they used to pack black families on buses and send them up north and did exactly the same thing for exactly the same reason. They were protest- protesting desegregation at the time. But it's the same racist, horrible, terrible things they did for political um, scorekeeping. And they just keep doing it because that's who these people have always been. And there's nothing like this on the left. It does not exist at all. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, just horrible people. Horrible, genuinely horrible people. Yep. This is why I worry about Ron DeSantis. Um, well, look, everybody, that's our, our show for today. We are going to be heading into the members only section, um, members only podcast, rather, where we're going to be talking about Lindsey Graham's abortion gambit. Uh, what the hell he thinks he's doing? Um, this was huge news this week. So we're going to be Democrats. Dis- dis- I, who knows? I don't understand. But we're going to we're going to dive into that. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, you, if you want to come and join us in the Members Only podcast, you can get yourself a free trial on a band's membership. Listen for free, and uh, hope you'll stick around. And uh, yeah, our Members Only podcast is where we. It's a bit more free flowing, a bit more, a bit more um, uh, not safe for work. Uh, so join us there and uh, if not we'll see you next week later